0: Hello everyone, thank you so much for coming to this second lunchtime reading in a series that will run through the full course of the In Relation exhibition. I'm Tina Barton, I'm the director of the Adam Art Gallery and co-curator of the exhibition along with Gregory Burke. I'm sitting in the corner here uh, beside uh, a series of photographs on this long wall here um, which document a performance or an evening of performances called Liaison. And today I'm going to read the notes written by critic and writer Wiston Kerno, who attended the evening. So this is the first time that I'm introducing Wiston into the into uh, the lunchtime reading program. Last week or the week before, when I started the series, I read two pieces written by Peter Roche about a work called "O oh, Shit No: On the Contrary." And those pieces were written in advance of one performance and in the wake of one performance, before the second. This piece that I'll be reading was written after the performance, and it is Um, a very direct description of the event, but because Wiston is closely involved with the artists, he's also thinking about their previous work and offering his interpretation of it. I'm reading directly from Wiston's notebooks, and I'm very grateful to him for allowing me access to these in their raw state. What's interesting about his discussion of the liaison performances is that he went on to publish a version of his description in a short-lived art journal called Art Network that was published in Sydney, and they had a special issue called um, the Trans-Tasman Connection, and they invited various people in the New Zealand art system to write about art that was going on here in 1980, it's really interesting to read his edited and updated version, published version, because it's much smoother, and it's much, uh, it's you know he's done a job on his own writing. But I thought it would be more interesting to go back to the original notebook as it was written in his handwriting. So I'm just going to read that now. It should probably take ten to fifteen minutes. It's quite extensive. Um, and then I might just sort of offer my thoughts at the end, and I welcome any questions from you guys. Now, it is written in his handwriting, and I'm not Wiston, and I apologize for not sounding at all like him, and for also having to struggle to actually read his writing, So, and it is quite small. So. Bear with me as I go forward. I will not interpolate, I'll just read the entire text as it's delivered. Um, and you know, these are my photographs of the notebook, so this is what I'm reading from. Okay, here we go. Peter Roche and Linda Bose, Liaisons, an evening of performances and related documents, March 17, 730, Real Pictures. Peter and Linda stood in the doorway facing one another with a space in between so that the audience had to force their way through into the performance space. They were not especially willing to do this. A queue of sorts or people at a large party spilled out into hallways, that sort of feel to it. Some arriving and greeting others there. My first take is this latter, until I noticed Peter and Linda and their being in the doorway would not have been special, hadn't I known they were the performers tonight? How about for those who came who didn't know either of them? Were there any such? Would they have picked up on it? Time needed for the double take, like coming to a party where you don't know the host. Gate crashing. So sort of a cluttered, crowded corridor or a gauntlet. It's not just about those two you force a path through, cue jumper. Excuse me, excuse, getting to the bathroom. I recall a dreary performance one Sunday in Soho in some woman's apartment kitchen where we were let in in groups of 10 and there was a whole bunch of people in the stairs. It was four flights up, and in the corridor. Vito Acconci and some others involved in a discussion of Einstein on the beach, waiting their turn. More particularly, Ulay and Marina Abramovic, similar act came to mind. But I'm not so concerned with either of these associations. The Soho situation had no part to play in the performance, which was one of the things wrong with it. And Ulay and Abramovic was only that. I had in mind the context, the entry this was, to an evening concerning liaison and whatever relation there'd be with the works which had preceded. That is, the context for this reception was above all Peter's previous performances. In that sense, there's an immediate cueing to the issues of the performance. Now, I've always thought well of how Peter's performances began. I've had worries about middles and endings, but never about beginnings. And they've moved recently towards a more laid back, easing into it kind of situation, not locking the audience into place, as was the case with earlier pieces. As at the Grafton Road Art Center, There was wine and a little partying and providing for, and it happened so naturally. But there were traces of work to pick up on, the reception from the hosts. This is all a social situation, audience to audience, audience to performer, etc. Anyway, I recollect now how the doorway was a feature in Get the Fuck Out. But here, the performers are in and out of the frame of the work, which the threshold of the room is. It may be their party, but they are partying too, the two sides to that, not only pushing past them, but past others to get to the grog. Anyway, there were traces to follow. A set of photographs, which have both performers crossing Queen Street, the busiest street in town, You bring to them the knowledge that there is a liaison between the two. I know I've seen them together and in performance concerning their liaison. In the photos, they are not together. Whether they are getting together, one can't say. They're crossing streets separately, looking intently, getting somewhere. To the other side, looking across on a diagonal so as to watch for traffic, so as to get where they want to go. The other is a film loop in a corner. The image is small. A certain amount of intimacy with the space is required. I get up close to see. I had to get through a group of people to see it, aware now of crossing space, getting to the action. First, as I came upon it, Peter was walking towards the camera down a path in a park, it looks like. He is purposeful. He walks a straight line, getting to it somewhere. This time, the setting is natural, not urban. When Peter reaches the camera, it moves left, describing a 30-degree angle about to show Linda in the distance, walking towards the camera, also down a path directly towards us. We stand, thus, at a crossroads. Here, where we are, they would meet. There's no suggestion that they do meet, other than that we are here and they are both headed exactly into our space. I note that they are both wearing red. Linda has a red shoulderless summer dress, Peter a red shirt. I saw he has a red T-shirt on now. Linda's dress is black, but she has red pantyhose under it. Otherwise, there is an arrangement of mirrors on the wall, making a vertical line of various shaped mirrors on the centre of the back wall. I have nothing to do with mirrors. I imagine they are there to be props, but as I get some wine and talk to Rick, Colleen and Margreta, and Tony, it is registered that were I to approach the mirrors, I'd have seen myself walking a path crossing a space to meet a fragmented image of me. The space was pretty full of people by now, and Peter and Linda were no longer at the door. He was fiddling with some sound gear, which was evidently playing up. And when the evening ended earlier than I expected, it occurred to me that there may well have been an action involving the mics that had to be foregone because of this. Peter and Linda took up positions at opposite sides of the room, she on the left, he on the right, and people moved back without prompting and gradually sat down, giving them their space. This was so nice and easily accomplished. It's a simple enough thing, but something I do like about Peter's performances. They looked directly at each other across the space. Because the space is elongated, Already, right there, something is established. They can look directly at each other, but we cannot look at them as a couple. Everyone's eyes are constantly moving from one to the other. They are looking at each other, and that is what is of interest. If you follow the gaze to the other, you lose sight of the one whose point of view, whose interest you have chosen to follow. Thus, One is very much an onlooker, an outside looking at a relationship. It is almost impossible to observe. It is pieced together by a rapid scanning only. Theirs is their own world. This is a private thing they are doing. They are exposing themselves, but the difficulty, the barrier between us and them, as them, is tangibly there. They are quite still and yet they now appear to be movements and that they are distinct with each of the performers. She will occasionally lift one foot a few inches off the ground and put it down. It's as if she would get off the position she's on. The impulse to move is signalled. Also, her hands hang loosely at her side. She's fairly loose and occasionally shakes. That's an overstatement, her fingers a little. Again, there's the preparedness to move, but she doesn't. She looks ahead, as if she has to have a signal before she can really do anything about the situation. His posture is, however, quite different. He is tense. I think he is perhaps holding his breath. He breathes in deeply, holding his chest up. He leans slowly forward as if pulling forward by the rope of his gaze, his heels coming up off the ground, but not leaving the spot. His arms are crooked, elbows up and back, fists clenched. He would plunge forward if, if there was reason, signal to do so. But he gets so tight there are breakings away, frustration at the state of things. If he's to get so tied up like this, is it worth it? He's not got great patience. He hauls off, breathes out, relaxes, breaks off the connection, walks back from it, takes a drink, relaxes, lets loose his hands. She too might relax, but not like this. She is more even. The foot lifting changes to a more ambivalent movement of lifting a foot and moving it back and then forward to its previous position. It's as though she is walking, is moving, but nowhere, she too, is still waiting. The impression is that both require a signal from the other before making a move towards the other. When it happens, it seems to me it is transmitted by both absolutely simultaneously. I see him only. He leans forward in a tense eagerness till he loses balance forward and comes with a rush. Peripherally, I see her moving towards him at exactly the same time. What I'm saying is I believe there's no apparent signal but a decision made by both to cross to each other separately and exactly the same time. I believe this is spontaneous, not planned, timed, made up. But I cannot be sure because I only saw Linda's move peripherally. But I believe, and that counts for a good deal, it's about all I can expect. When they meet, they walk together quickly over to the side and do embrace lightly. Again, spontaneously, it seems like something has happened. Then they return to their previous positions. and We have the same routine. There is something of the here we are again in this position. Now it seems this problem, there's rather more action and an impatience I was most taken by Linda's suddenly putting her hands on her hips. There was nothing very large or ostentatious in the gesture, but it was both impatient and sexy. So it had about it this pushing away of impatience and this come hither, that the hands on hips presenting of the torso. Something of this is, however, also there in the openness of the hands dangling at her sides. But there has been this male-female role contrast all along, her womanly readiness and its ambivalences, his insistence, his aggressive, taut, almost demanding stance. The nearest he comes to the same gesture is a stance, leaning to one side slightly, one leg down, the other loose and slightly bent, cocking his body with an, oh well, and look at me about it, When they do move off their spots, it's with power, and they both shout as they reach each other. There's no embrace. I'm not aware of such a spontaneously coordinated impulse, more like some force has shoved them in one another's direction. It's all a bit harsh, but that's it, clearly. They reassemble in the centre of the space, standing close to each other he begins to belch in her face. He keeps on, his chest heaving and his face moving that much closer to hers as a result of getting the belch out. It's an ugly, aggressive kind of utterance, but it does become a kind of speech, remarkably sustained and varied, quite a virtuoso performance. And as speech, it becomes less a literal burp which might foreshadow him throwing up over her and more a kind of representative utterance. That's what his talk is, a nasty gut-level outburst which threatens the other. She takes it, is not going to back off, a passive resistance which may function as a provocation. The, The audience here I find, throws up problems for the performance. A small child, doubtless enjoying the release from propriety this man here burping gives to a newly acquired talent of his own, joins in. There's some laughter. Some guy also joins in. There is laughter. This is a bit tough to handle. The tension of the performance gets lost like this, and there's little or nothing the performer can do, do, but more of the same the options for response and control of the audience have been rendered more difficult and complex. Now there's a second performer in these pieces. I'm aware that this is not the best audience. Earlier, in previous parts, they had been talking, albeit quietly. It disturbed actions, which required pretty intense attention in order to get the real value out of it. I had the experience of getting with it and then losing it. And I'm aware of the performer's need to concentrate their attention on each other. In these ways, the audience can do real damage. It's a fragile thing. I'm aware of coming full circle from where the performer overwhelms, wipes out an audience, all but, to where the audience can wipe out the performer, all but. There's a sense of that possibility now. Resentment I'd had to cope with, which was directed previously at the performer, was now directed to the audience. My feeling for others, wiped out by the performer previously, had a large measure of sympathy to it. Not now. Comes the point in this where he slaps her or cuffs her firmly across the face. This is live, not like... Not... The loop used in the previous two performances. She moves directly to the mirrors and begins to scream, her eyes in the mirror accusingly directed at him. She screams and screams, repeated, a magnificent screaming it is, comes to resemble the belching male speech. It goes on and until it becomes a typical kind of speech. She is really working it for all it's worth also a virtuoso performance. In the middle of it, he forces his way through the audience and out the door, and she, crouched over now, slashes her arm, I presume. There's blood on the floor, and she leaves too. End of performance. I'm happy about this in that what was aimed at in the previous two performances is actually achieved in this and with greater economy, directness, and conviction. There's less game playing made of it, and it's not filtered through media. On the other hand, it's too quick, which is odd after enduring the seeming endlessness of some previous performances, to come up with such a complaint. But each of the three phases just makes it there. Not one is forced, with the possible exception of the last, which needs perhaps a lot of time, some boredom for the script to gain the credence it needs. It gets too close to melodrama at the moment in its its quick plotting. The question has to do with lifting and aiming audience attention so that it really gets into the act, so to discover more fully a liaison There's the aim through the objectification of a real situation by these slow, intense, minimally active situations to give access to, to create a private space into which the audience enters as into a fiction literally being made, lived in public. The liaison is through audience and with audience. However, I wonder whether this audience was up to it and whether, therefore, the performers were up to transforming or making the the liaison they could have. End of Wiston's notes. So I think it's fascinating sitting here looking at these pictures and listening to these words it embodies the images and gives them a life and an urgency that you just don't have when you're just looking at the pictures so it feels really important to get these words out um, and to imagine what it would have been like to be in the audience and to be trying to concentrate on the action be the attentive observer and having this sort of other stuff going on amongst the rest of the crowd there, and the shock, I guess, of the nasty interactions of them communicating, not with words, but with sounds, and then Linda going off and screaming and slashing herself. I mean, that would have been a very intense experience. And somehow, I think it's really captured in the notes. And um, But at the same time, the critic is is thinking it through all the time. Um, whether this is a successful piece, how it could have been better if they had done certain things. And I find that so um, intriguing because as their relationship, the relationship between Wiston and the performers, unfolds through the next few years, you find that they are actually exchanging notes that they write up after their performances. And they're actually, it's like a feedback loop. Wiston's giving them feedback. They're taking that on board and adjusting things for the next occasion. And Peter's sharing his ideas with Wiston so that they can um, get to a deeper understanding of what was really going on in the performance. The other thing that I find so interesting about this exercise is the process of interpretation and how that literally unfolds. So when Greg and I put the show together, we read Wiston's notes. And we were able, therefore, to bring the liaison assertive cooperative film into play with these photographs. But also Street Piece, which is the preceding performance that Peter and Linda undertook without an audience walking down Queen Street which of course appears beautifully in the very first image here. So there's this really nice little loop that we've managed to create by being attentive listeners and lookers. Uh, What's also really lovely is that here they are in the doorway, and this is actually Wiston here standing, looking at these photographs, so you you can absolutely see him doing his his work. The final thing that I wanted to say is the difference between this and then the published version of the same description in Art Network, that this is my scruffy photocopy coming out of my my thesis research, so this is from the 1980s, this particular photocopy. You read it and it's, there's another layer of interpretation and a certain remove from the rawness of the notes. And then our notes in this, which are a step further away. And I'll just, if you can bear with me, I'll read our notes. And I think you'll see how we've softened and made something else again out of our reading of the work, which is obviously attending to the original, but it's somehow, it's sort of changed. And it makes me really aware of the process of historicization that inevitably occurs when um, we are working with material that we don't have direct access to. So in a way, this is a bit of self-critique because I think it's um, a little bit kind of softer than Wiston's raw take. So I'll just read you our notes very quickly. Liaison was an an evening of performances that formally announced Roche and Bose as performance artists working together. Staged at Real Pictures, a gallery established to showcase photography as an art form, the event involved the presentation of the liaison assertive cooperative film and photo documentation of Street Piece As well as a suite of three live performances. As people entered the space, Roche and Bose stood facing each other in the doorway, causing audience members to brush their bodies against the performers as they were forced to sidle sideways into the room, choosing to face either Peter or Linda as they entered. Once gathered and after viewing the documentation, the audience moved to the back half of the space. A camera stood dead center facing the front wall, in the middle of which was a vertical stack of domestic mirrors. For their second performance, Roche and Bose stood in front of the audience on either side of the space, motionless, but as if sizing each other up. After a lengthy period and without warning, they rushed at each other, screaming and crossing paths at the center point in front of the mirrors, with the camera capturing that precise moment. For the third performance, the artists stood in uncomfortable proximity, facing each other in front of the mirrors. Roche asserted himself and intimidated Baus by repeatedly belching in her face. She stood her ground. Finally, in response to her counter-provocation, he slapped her face. In an immediate reaction, she moved swiftly to the back wall, wailing for a prolonged time as she crouched in front of the mirrors and cut her arm, drawing blood. This ended the performance. Liaison seemed to prove that human interaction does not rely on verbal communication alone. Indeed, the strength of the performance was in its focus on nonverbal cues and actions from forcing the audience to physically negotiate their access to the room, to bodily gestures and noises serving to communicate and convey reactions. Here, the line between interaction and confrontation was consciously crossed, testing the limits of the artists and their audience's physical and psychological comfort zones. End of description. So, my next reading is going to be downstairs with Night Piece, and I'm going to be reading both Whiston and Peter's and Linda's notes. So we'll be slipping, I'll read them independently of each other, and although some of those words are already on the wall down there, I think reading the entire story, I think it's one of the most thrilling narratives in the whole show, so do come back in a fortnight's time. Thank you.